0: Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Pride, Two Under, Zexio, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun. Bionic Gloves, and the McLemore Club. Experience life above
1: the clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Well, folks, who knew the PGA Tour would one day offer $40 million to guys but don't even need to make the cut. They drive attention, drive eyes, drive clicks, make a million dollars or more on the PGA tour. So players like Tiger and Ricky Fowler don't need to worry about not being able to play or breaking par. Like I say, making cuts. Keep developing your personal brand. Mention golf, promote the PGA tour and your share of $40 million may be on the way to your bank account. Good evening, folks. And welcome to next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And what a show. We have in store for you tonight. I've got four tremendous guests, including two of the top instructors in the game, a PGA Tour legend. And then we'll cross over to hockey and talk with a former goalie who is now one of the best broadcasters in the game, who also just happens to be a huge golf enthusiast. So who are those guys? Well, leading off is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. Tonight, I'm going to talk to TP about why he got started in teaching. We'll also revisit his time spent with Sevi Ballesteros and the work that they did together. We'll discuss how things have changed since his junior golf days and the over 125 victories his students have racked up so far. Plus, sort of a general theme of tonight's show is going to be what I mentioned a moment ago, that new $40 million incentive program the PGA Tour has created for the 10 players who help move the needle, as they say, you know, drive eyes and clicks to the tour. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We know ratings and quote-unquote likes and clicks are what drive business nowadays. So players cannot make a cut, but be interesting, induce clicks, and get paid. We'll talk about that throughout the show and get uh, everybody's opinion on that tonight, starting with TP when he joins me a few minutes from now. Following him, I'm going to be joined by nine-time winner between the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour, and that's Tom Pertzer. Tom has been known forever for having the sweetest swing on tour. We'll talk about his five wins on the regular tour, four on the Champions Tour, as well as top 10 finishes he's had in majors going back as we look over his career from the late 70s to the early 80s. We'll also talk about his golf academy out in Arizona. Really looking forward to having Tom as part of the show tonight. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Following Tom, top instructor and a great friend, Rob Strano will be back with us. I'll talk with Rob about setting proper expectations when we take lessons and then we go out and play. We'll also get some putting and chipping tips from Rob, and we'll talk about his hometown St. Louis Blues for a specific reason we'll talk about in just a second when Rob joins me about 50 minutes from now. Then we're going to round out tonight's show with a visit from former Chicago Blackhawks goalie and now St. Louis Blues broadcaster Darren Pang to the specific reason with Rob. We'll walk through Darren's junior hockey and NHL careers And as a guy, 5'5", 135, when he came into the league, we'll hear about what it was like playing against guys that were just a tad bigger than he was. Plus, he played junior hockey with Dan Quinn, another great friend of the show. So we'll hear whose wallet was a little bit lighter after the 18th hole when those two teed it up. Looking forward to having Panger as part of the show. He'll join me a little over an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And like I say always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. My buddies and I are headed up there next month for our annual golf trip, and I absolutely cannot wait to see and play that golf course. The Macklemore is a beautiful community resort and course, just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, up on Lookout Mountain. Folks, go online to themacklemore.com to check out what a wonderful golf course and other amenities they've got up there. Their new clubhouse and bar opened up last fall. Folks, you've got to see this place to believe how great it is. The golf course is co-designed by our friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And another great friend and PGA Tour caddy, Kip Henley, said outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. And Golf Digest agreed, oh, by the way, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. See why they're all saying that by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. And, folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand? Flop shot? Guess what? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better for them than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to tailormadegolf.com for more information. All right, now back with me for the 49th time as our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Look out, Virginia, because Tom is on his way up to his new summer home at Farmington Country Club up in Charlottesville. So, folks, if you're traveling up I-95, and you see a big white beast of a truck, and it looks like a homeless guy is living in it. That's Tom. Flag him down and get a lesson from him at the nearest rest stop, or you could download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing, and he can help you get dialed in through the app. Please check out his website, tompatry.com, and subscribe to his newsletter while you're on there. You can also go to his YouTube channel and subscribe, because he's uploaded over 150 free playing lessons for all of us. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatrickGolf, and it is always an honor to have T.P. as part of the show. Good evening, T.P. One more episode until we hit a big milestone. How are you, my friend?
2: Christy Boy! Hey, T.P. 49 times, Put my friend. It's unbelievable. 49 times. You, know, I, I, you would have gotten rid of me by now I would have thought. I mean, there must be lightning you know, as far as talent out there.
1: <laughs> if I had better judgment. Clearly, I do not. <laughs> Clearly not. TP, we've got a lot to get into tonight. And I want to start by getting a quick thought from you about the new PGA Tour incentive program that's going to pay $40 million to 10 players who they feel are moving the needle with sponsors and fans. It's about the players who move engagement on social media, bring eyes, clicks, and all of that to, to their tournaments. So I find it ironic that a player like Tiger who has disdain for the fans and never really engage with them may get a piece of that $40 million and probably won't play in a tournament this year. Or a guy like Ricky Fowler, who we all love and we are hoping that he finds his way and we're rooting for him to do it, but he could get a piece of that $40 million and not make a cut. What are your thoughts about that program?
2: Well, Chris, I think, I think it's the tour's answer actually in disguise to this, um, this alternate golf for as being proposed by some foreign money um a way to keep guys in the nest i think it's the wrong way to go about it but we you know you and i both know that social media drives so much of the wagon nowadays uh i i just question who's going to get the money and, and and what their real influence is on the game and, you know tiger could surely dip into that into that pot and maybe not see it up for the next year year and a half Ricky, who is a social media icon, you know, obviously doesn't look like he can make a cut right now. Uh, and then you look at a guy like Gary Woodland and the great influence he had at the Phoenix Open a few years ago uh, with that young lady that he pulled out on, the, on that par three, and, and it went viral. You now Gary's probably not in the top 15 in the world right now, and will he get left out? So I'm not really sure if they really thought this thing through. And, and what the, uh, what the ramifications could be. This, the second proposed tour, you know, if, if guys did defect, I think the easy way to keep them in the fold, as long as you have all the powers to be in the room on the same page, is to say, guys, you know, if, if you leave the PGA tour, and you go to this alternate tour, and in two years, it folds up, you don't get to hop back on, right on right away, there's a penalty period. So, I'm I'm not really sure this has really been thought through very well, and I I don't think we've heard the last of it yet and and maybe how it will be organized and how it will be pulled off, but uh, I I don't think they're moving necessarily in the right direction with it.
1: Tom, I want to talk about your career. You've been a teaching professional now for 41 years. Looking back at your time at Westchester Country Club and Friars Head and the places that you've been, Talk about your teaching resume and why you started TP Golf because we all owe a debt of gratitude for you for all you've meant to the game.
2: Well, well, Chris, if you don't mind a minor correction, I I owe the game a lot. The game owes me nothing. Um, The opportunity that the game provided and people who came before me provided, whether it was John Kennedy with Westchester Country Club or Charlie Robson, the executive director at the Mid-PGA, and so many people that came before and after them. Bill Strasbaugh at Columbia Cub Country Club in Washington DC who all gave me opportunity. Uh and the places I've gotten to go, the people I've been able to meet and be around and uh you know, so I, I owe the game so much.
1: It's been it's been an
2: incredible journey and uh and I've been pretty blessed by it. But yeah, I mean I spent eleven years at Westchester Country Club as a director of instruction there, one of the great, great old old granddads the game of golf uh an incredible place that's so historical and uh and, and still so relevant and then you know Friars head for nine years where uh you know just an incredible piece of property and, and a great vision of ken back um and pr- probably i think i think currently in the top 20 in the world um you know just a few places that i've been able to you know spend time at long periods of time at um, just, just incredible and. and uh, and, and, you know, I kind of fell into those things, and all of those things were really put in, in motion because of John Kennedy at Westchester Country Club, and the opportunity gave me there uh when I didn't have a, a resume, anything like today, and it gave me a chance to take over a situation that was, at the time, somewhat broken and kind of said, you know, go paint your own picture, go create your own staff, go create your own programs, and and, and see what you can do with the landscape. Um, and it all started right there because of him. So, uh, and during that same time period, uh, Bill, Bill Strawball became part of my life. And and you know, between Bill Strauss and John Kennedy and your guidance, um, what we know today as Tom Patrick was born. But it was because of them uh, and their influence. So I was really really blessed in that regard.
1: I want to get your thoughts as well about coaching on the LPGA tour because that's where you got your start, right?
2: Well, it was very different, Chris. In the 90s, that was my first, uh, my first endeavor into teaching and coaching professional golf. um and it was really, uh, it was through an introduction of a good friend of mine, Evan Schiller, who's a, a world-class photographer today. But Evan was on my teaching staff at Westchester, and he, and he had some contacts with some girls from college golf at the University of Miami, made an introduction. A couple of them had some faith in me. I started coaching, um one girl and then a second girl and it wound up being uh, I think five or six girls who all were winners on tour in the 90s. Uh, and that's really where I kind of cut my teeth first as far as professional golf. And that's transcended during my Westchester years because I was hosting the Buick Classic into exposure to some male tour players. Uh, and, and, you know, I was off and running and that, that exposure obviously was, uh, was some pre, it's really funny because it was pre social media. But you know, word of mouth was was the vehicle back then and uh and I had some success and some people played well and, and a couple of them won some events and and you know that kind of you know bolstered what I was doing too. So I I was really I was really a victim in a great way of right place, right time, uh in so many respects. Um but it's very different today. You know, it's, it's so much more demanding. Uh I get I get calls and requests to do that some of those things now and I really turn them down. I'm on the road, as you know, cause five months a year away from my family, uh, my wife, the dogs and my son in Naples, uh, when I go to Farmington this summer and, and five months away is a long time from home. And, uh, if I added to that a tour presence today, I, I would never be home. So I had my run with that. It was, it was really fun. I'm glad I did it. It was a different time of my life. I was a lot younger. Um, but it, it's not something today, the demands are so much greater as far as your time, uh, I, w- I wouldn't want to do it at this point in my life.
1: Tom, let's push it up again because I, uh, I want to get some playing lessons from you tonight. And as you know, I'm trying to improve my short game. I find myself watching videos on your YouTube channel as well as old videos that Sevi put together way back in the day. And I know you spent some time working with him, watching him. When he asked you to take a look at what he was doing, what did you see and what did you learn from uh, the time you spent with Seve?
2: Well, clearly, I, you know, my, my time with Seve was later in his career. Chris. he was already, you know, I hate to say this, but he was kind of damaged goods. His back was already a mess at that point. Still had an incredible, you know, incredible talent, incredible short game. It certainly didn't need any help for me with the short game. But what he did for me, and uh, it's funny how we kind of turned, turned the table here, is, you know, when I worked with him on his full swing, you know, I would always pick his brain about short game and, and obviously was the maestro where, where nobody, I mean, we have great short game players that, you know, whether you talk about Fowler's putting stroke or Phil Mickelson's short game or Patrick Reed's short game, I, I can promise you that nobody could touch Chevy. Uh, and he did a lot of things that were very artistic. You know? So I think part of golf is mechanical and part of it is the artist. And he was clearly the artist. Uh, you know, he did like changing his grip pressure, changing the position of his hands on the club, making his grip weaker to higher, softer shots. Uh, he used the bounce of the club so beautifully, um, and he had, you know, he just had a pair of hands that that just everybody does not have. So he could do some things between both his talent and his technique. That was just an extraordinary shot. Um, I always say to my students, you know, once I play the, the groundwork for short game with them, that the two greatest short game players on the planet today are Dr. Trial and Mr. Error. So once you have some basic parameters, whether it's how you use the bounce of the club, the club in that you choose to use uh, for the majority of your shots, how you use your hands on the club in terms of your grip pressure and the position of your hands in your grip, uh, then have then you have to go out there and you have to do a thousand shots and just and just pull around with things and find out what works best for you. But he was he was so, so damn creative, Chris, that, you know, uh, there's so many things he did you really can't teach. They were, they were a gift from God. So, uh, I think a lot of short game, once you have, you know, the skeleton is, is trial and error.
1: And Tom, as you mentioned with Stevie, with the hands and grip pressure, we heard forever. He had such incredibly soft hands and, and, um, you put that in to work certainly in, in the short game and his chipping and pitching. Talk about what that means. What does it mean when someone says, "Wow, he had soft hands"?
2: Well, I, I think I think a lot of bad short game shots are driven by tension and too much grip pressure. You know, hands squeezing the club too tight and not allowing the wrists and the arms to swing and flow uh, in a relaxed manner. Uh, and I think that certainly to play the tour under pressure and hit shots like he. Kid, you know, he had had put so much work into it and developed such a high confidence level that he could put his hands on the club in a way that uh, you know people who don't put the work in, don't put the time in, can't develop or, or reach that kind of level of confidence to trust the hands being on the club that lightly with such a low grip pressure. Um, there are no shortcuts, Chris. I mean, there just aren't. I, I know you uh, as an avid golfer. I know you go out there, you know. Fifteen or twenty hours a week, and hit those short shots, and hit hit those bunker shots and pitch and chip shots. I know you're very dedicated to your game, but how many people really do that?
1: Tom, I, you know, as as we talk about Sevy and and, and uh, the grip pressure and the soft hands and the things and tension and all that sort of, I, I I've never asked you this before, but I, I want to get your take. Eighty six Masters, sevy has got the lead, obviously in late in the back nine on Sunday. Hits a terrible shot on fifteen. It pulled it left. Obviously, it goes in the water. Why do you think that shot happened?
2: You know, Chris, that I, I remember watching that live. And you know, at that juncture in time, if you go back and watch that Masters unfold, I know you're a huge Augusta fan, and, and you know I am too. We've talked about that a lot off air together. Um He hits that shot. I believe it was a four iron on the green on 15. Jack never wins that golf tournament. It, it doesn't right. That golf that golf swing changed the course of golf history at augusta um and it was so unlikely to, to hit a shot that he was especially in that in that in that situation that he wasn't totally focused you know for him to hit a shot that poorly that unsolidly, um he you know he got ahead of himself clearly um any player hit that, any any player that's that world class gifted could have shot that poorly uh is clearly not tuned in uh but you know, the golf gods were shining on Jack, and that was his time. And you know, not only that shot Chris but Seve hits on fifteen, but you know, if we remember clearly, Norman stood in the middle of eighteen fairway and only needed was a part of tie Jack to force the playoff. and he was at the height of his powers as well at that time, and hits that terrible second shot right of the bunker on eighteen and makes Bogey and Jack win. So a lot of things um uh, happened. And listen, I'm not saying anything away from Jack. He played an incredible incredible last round of golf. Um, but those two players, you think about nineteen eighty six, Silviano Ballesteros and Greg Norman hitting those two four shots in that situation and Jack wins. Just it was it was meant to be.
1: Tom, you've done over sixty thousand hours of instruction over your career so far, working with junior players, college players, kids like Jack the Whack that you brought on the show with you last year and and those players, plus, you know, everyday students, you know, out there winning junior events, college tournaments, or just their club championships, that has to be incredibly rewarding to see the people that you're working with winning at such a high rate.
2: You know, you know Christian is I mean, you know, there's nothing probably more fun than a student at any level, whether it's a junior player or a college player, you know, a club champion, a member guest, you know, a, a player breaking the 100 for the first time, uh, an absolute rank beginner going out and hitting the first shot solid in the air—they're all rewarding on different levels. Um, and when you teach, you know, when you teach golf primarily at the club level, recreational level now. And your—and maybe your tour coaching career is over. You know, the thing that still drives your needle and gets you excited is when one of your people have success at whatever level it is. And certainly, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that my juniors weren't the most fun for me. I've got. You know, Jack the Whack, as you mentioned, is is playing great golf and he's you know, he's only fifteen now but he's really doing well and he's getting better all the time. Uh, uh, I got a young lady named Macy Benson who won five events in a row last fall in Indiana. Uh a young man named Maverick Conway in, in, in Indiana who just finished second in a really, really big tournament in the Midwest. Um uh all all those things are so much fun. You know, when you see kids uh starting to excel, especially if they're kids that you're really like and they're polite. and They're hardworking and they, and they have a passion for the game. So, there's nothing much better than that.
1: So, Tom, how different are things now versus when you know you were a junior golfer or back in your in your college days? We know the technology is different, but how else is is the game different from back then?
2: Well, you know, I told you about the things I like, Chris. Let me tell you about some of the things I don't like. You know, back when I played junior golf, which is a long time ago. Uh, there was no AJGA, there was no club fitting, there was no V1, there was no body tracker, track man. Um, and, and, you know, I, I for example, myself as a public course kid, didn't have any exposure to a golf course. I, you know, I, I won 15 pretty big junior events. I won seven or eight amateur events. I won five or six college events in an NCAA. Um, I never had a golf lesson until I got out of college. And the kids that show up today, the ones that I don't like, and, and they usually don't stay with me very long because I don't really allow them to, are ultra-entitled. You know, they're showing up with, you know, several thousand dollars worth of golf clubs in their bag, and, and they've got a, you know, a physical therapist, they've got a sports psychologist, and, and you know, the helicopter mom or dad. It's it's gotten a little bit out of control in some respects. Uh, and. And I'm really fortunate, Chris. I don't need anybody in my lesson book i really I'm really lucky that I can deal from a position of strength as far as who I stay with and who I don't stay with. Um, I want kids who are who you know and I tell all my kids, no matter how good they are and where they want to go play in college, that the college we're going to choose is going to be education first and golf second, and I also tell them that if they ever say anything in front of me that's disrespectful to their parents. That they can, they can leave if they're gone. So, um, I've been blessed that my, my kids that do stay with me are, are really pretty good kids and and I'm able to kind of pick and choose in that respect. And I've turned away some really good talent and gone to somebody else and I wish them the best and hope it works out. But, um, it's really different now. It's really different with the amount of money that is spent on junior golf and, and how much travel they do. Um, uh, it's gotten a little bit in some respects out of control.
1: I know we have a lot better technology. We've mentioned that today versus the rocks, stones, chisels, sticks that you played with when you were a kid. But with the advent of the AJGA and all of the tournaments that kids get to play in now as they grow up and advancing through junior golf and high school golf and college golf and all of those sorts of things, kids seem better prepared today for the pressure and being able to compete in tournaments as they get up through those levels and then through the Corn Ferry Tour, the Symmetra Tour, the PGA Tour, and the LPGA Tour. Talk about that. Are kids better prepared now? And how are things different from a teaching perspective than they were back when you were coming up through the ranks?
2: I think, Chris, I think all those things are true. I think the thing you failed to mention, in addition to everything you said, was that, you know, First came a guy named Arnold Palmer, then came a guy named Fred Couples, and then came a guy named Tiger Woods, and the popularity of the sport exploded, uh, and the visibility of the sport because of TV exploded. And what happened is golf became cool. When I was in high school, you know, if you played golf, you were kind of the nerd. You were, you were kind of the almost the outcast. Now, now golf is cool. So, you know, we got kids coming to the lesson team now that could be the high school quarterback. It could be the point guard on the basketball team. It could be the shortstop on the baseball team. Uh, this kid I have from, from Indiana, Maverick Conaway, is a really good athlete and a really good basketball player. Uh, you know, and he, he's 6'1 and a 6'2, you know, tall and lank, creates a lot of speed, uh, but he's a really good athlete. Um, so we also have kids coming to our sport now that we never had coming into our lesson team before. They're just really good athletes. We get the kind of cherry picks. Uh, some athletes that we never had we never had a chance to grab before so you you take all the things you just named and add the athleticism to the pot and man man, you know dinner is served it's really really good
1: Tom just a couple more before I let you go and uh, like we talked about over the last couple of times you've been on the show you've uploaded a lot of great content on your YouTube channel remind everyone what they can get when they go out there and subscribe to it
2: yeah you know Chris, that YouTube channel has kind of grown from uh, nothing in the past two years to about 150, um video tips, uh, some lengthy, some not so lengthy, short game, full swing, course management, sports psychology, uh, you know, some, some, some stories about the game of golf, sports psychology. Uh, I try to, you know, create, uh, I'm trying, still trying to create and add to, uh, videos to that channel. That encompass every aspect of the game of golf. And it's just a place where people can go for totally free content and, uh, kind of stick their nose in there, subscribe to it and, and, and have some fun with it. Um, it's been fun to record some of those things. I've got about 25 more left to edit so far. It'll be added probably by the end of June. And then I'll probably film another 25 to 50 over the summer, hopefully, um, to keep growing that, growing that channel, but it's, it's a fun place for people.
1: And Tom, let everybody know how they can stay up to date with the great things that you're doing. Again, on your way up to Virginia here, before long, uh, let them know how they can find you, and then follow you on social media as well.
2: Yeah, because all the regular places. First of all, the website is just TomPatsy.com. Really simple. But we have we have you know, we have space on LinkedIn, Instagram, two Facebook pages, Twitter, um, and then obviously they can subscribe to my newsletter, which goes out four times a year. And they can subscribe to that via uh via the website. Um but as I always do when we when we cut us cut us, cut us each other loose at the end of the show, um, we should also thank Chris Scaroff for everything he does for the game of golf every every Tuesday night at eight o'clock. Uh you yeah, having Persa on next, one of the great swingers of the club of all time. Actually, Persa is his generation's Adam Scott. And to have people like him share their knowledge and their wisdom Goes to Christmas Carol is, is something we should be grateful for as well. And, and next show is number 50, pal. So I, I expect, you know, a birthday cake maybe, champagne maybe sent to the house <laughs> in, 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 in Charlottesville, maybe at the front door. So, uh, you're doing a, a hell of a job, pal. It's always fun being on with you.
1: Oh, I love you, TP. You know that. And, uh, and my condolences to you, to your lovely wife who has been stuck in traffic with you for hours. I can only imagine how excruciating that's been for for the lovely Mrs. Patry. But um, I'm sure that uh, that uh, she'll get through it and uh, and have a big party once uh, once the white beast is pulled out of the driveway. So good for her. I know good days are coming for her. And really, that that uh, the folks up in Charlottesville, Virginia, are going to be very lucky lucky once uh, the white beast pulls up. Up there, uh, I'm sure the the key, the, uh, the gross, um handicap margin is going to come way down for the folks in Virginia because Tom Patry is now going to be in that state. So I look forward to catching up with you soon, my friend. You're the best, you know. I love you. Thanks,
2: Precisely. Thanks, you know. Have a great night.
1: See you, Tom. That's the great Tom Patry, folks. TomPatry.com, P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of his last name, and Tom Patry Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, subscribe to that, uh, that YouTube channel, folks. TP has put out, like I say, it's, it's at least 150 and it's free content for you. And it takes you all over the court from, from tea to green, putting strategy and all that sort of stuff. It's going to really improve your game. And, uh, I would never say this to TP when uh, we're on the air together, but the folks up in Charlottesville, you guys are in for a treat. You're going to get, uh, you're going to get probably one of the best in the game for sure uh and he's really going to come up there and make a big impact on people's golf. You heard it. He was in Indiana last summer and you, you heard him talk about some of the players, some of his junior players that are now having tremendous success. People down that go and see him in uh in Naples and Fort Myers and even as as far north as as New York and you know, as you heard TP say that's where he's from. So he goes back up there and he's got students that are uh that are really doing some amazing things there. And folks you heard it on this show first, and you might have heard it on TP Show if you if you uh, followed him on his Instagram live show. Jack the Wack, that kid is amazing. 15 years old, kid shooting in the upper 60s, low 70s, and, and winning tournaments. Uh, that kid's going to be making some noise, uh, and, you know, whether it's that college, Corn Ferry Tour, and one day the PGA Tour. I got a lot of faith in that kid. He's got a tremendous swing, thanks to Tom Patrick. All right, before I get to my next guest, Tom Pertzer, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finnscooters.com and click on Find a Finn For a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations, so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize, check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show was sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of
0: the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show.
1: All right, now next on the tee with me is PGA Tour legend Tom Pertzer. Tom is from Des Moines, Iowa. Played his college golf at Arizona State from 1970 to 1973. Turned pro a little bit later on in that 73 year. Got his first tour victory at the 1977 Glen Campbell Los Angeles Open, winning by one stroke over Lanny Watkins. Tom won five times on the PGA Tour, four times on the Champions Tour. In all, he has 15 professional wins and 59 top 10 finishes and what has always been said to have the sweetest golf swing on tour. And it's a huge thrill to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tom, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Hi Chris,
3: how are you? I'm fantastic. Tom, how are you? I'm doing good, as far as I know. <laughs> that's good news. It's it's, it's nice getting. So
2: to Tom,
1: I want Yeah, how about that? I was when uh, Tom and I were uh, talking before the show uh, went live. You know, one TP knows another TP, so that's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Tom, I want to start our time tonight by kind of going back to your time at Arizona State both you and your brother Paul both played there so clearly a golf family affair at Arizona State where did the love for the game come from as you were a kid and why why Arizona State for the two of you
0: well I think a lot of it my dad was my dad loved to play the game Um, he had played he, he he grew up in Nebraska and he started playing he keeps telling me on sand green back in Nebraska I can't imagine doing that but that's what he said they did so he i mean he truly loved the game um he was a just a family practice doctor so he you know every Wednesday afternoon and and the weekend Saturday he he'd go play as much as he could and you know he he tried to get both of us involved and we were both baseball players until kind of just out of um just in the middle of high school i just you know we decided to just to play golf and um um but he that's how we got started he just he loved the game and and the ASU part was uh that was an that was an easy fix just because you know I got to stay home I got to stay close to home and you know the weather was great for playing golf uh you know we didn't have to put the clubs up for three or four months because of the weather so that was you know I think that was an easy deal and My brother went there before I did. So, you know, I kind of, kind of wanted to follow my big brother. Um, and that was, that was kind of how we managed, uh, ASU.
3: Did you and your brother get to
1: play together for one year or was he going out as you were coming in?
0: He was going out as as you remember. I'm sure you, when, when, when I was a freshman, freshmen couldn't play on any of the teams. I don't, I think it was. Golf, basketball, whatever it was, when you were a freshman, you weren't able to uh, to play on the on the team. So uh, that was and that was his last year. So I miss I missed getting to play with him.
1: Tom, um, there are so many great players that have come out of Arizona State. I, you know, after you and your brother, I mean, Phil Mickelson, John Rahm, Paul Casey, Pat Perez, Tez Reevy, Billy Mayfair, Howard Twitty, Bob Gilder, Joanne Carner, such a great golf history there at Arizona State. Talk about what it was like playing at Arizona State and then having, you know, legends of the game coming there before, during, and after you. Well,
0: we had, like, you know, when my brother played, he had a bunch of good good guys on his team. He played good. The guy from uh, Mike Morley, Joe Porter, uh, a, you know, a number of guys that played there, but, you know, I think when, when I went there, we had, uh, you know, Howard Quiddy and, and Bob Gilder and Charlie Gibson. Um, we had a, we had a good team. We it seemed like we didn't play, we never played good together at the same time. So we kind of struggled as a, as a team, but we had some pretty good players. Uh, and then I think, you know, when, when Phil went there, um, that kind of got, that kind of got the program um on track and uh you know they started doing a lot of, they they had a they built a golf course there at arizona state so they had a good practice facility um and a good place to play you know when we were growing up we just we we got on all the country club all well, the golf courses in in the phoenix area we didn't have really a home place so you know we were we were driving all over the place trying to find places to play but um It's, it's totally different. Now they've got, now they have one of the best practice facilities I've ever seen. Short game facilities, uh, it's, it's beyond comprehension what, what you can do. Phil, Phil did a really nice job designing it, designing it. And, um, it's world class. I don't know. I can't imagine another practice area better than Arizona State University.
1: And Tom, you turned pro in 1973, 77. You're 25 years old. You get your first victory on tour of what was then the Glen Campbell LA Open at uh, Riviera, which I believe was the 50th anniversary of that tournament. And Riviera, I read, is one of your favorite golf courses. Talk about being able to get your first win there.
0: Yeah, that was, that was pretty special. I, I, uh, I had a good t- I was playing. Um the week before I've been Crosby and Larry Nelson gave me a little tip and he just said, you know, just play one shot at a time. And that carried over, uh, to LA, which was the next week. And, um I thought about that, you know, as I played and I, I was, I was playing good. I was hitting the ball good and, you know, I just needed to make a few putts and I, I felt like I was getting close to playing really good. And it all kind of came together that week. And, um, I love Riviera. I've always, I've always loved Riviera. It's just, you have to play every shot in your bag. You've got to move it both directions off the tee. Um, and it's, you know, it's just one of those great classic golf courses, uh, a lot of history there. And, you know, I remember last hole, I kind of pushed my tee shot over into the big uke over there on the right. And uh, that those were the days that we didn't we weren't hitting pitching wedges into that hole. I I had to cut a three three iron into that hole and I left it up on the hill. And I knew Lanny was already finished, and I knew that I didn't want to have a and I didn't want to get in a playoff with Lanny Watkins on my second year on tour. So uh I managed to hit a pretty good chip down there about five feet and. Uh, I have no idea how I made that putt, but it went in.
1: And to your point, Tom, you know, having beaten Lanny by a stroke there, and I, I would have had to—I got to I, I gotta believe you and Lanny developed a pretty good friendship because later on, you partnered with Lanny to win the Shark Shootout over Greg Norman and Jack Nicklaus. Talk about your relationship with Lanny.
3: Yeah, Lanny and I've been—we—we were—we've been—we've
0: been friends for quite a while. You know, he always. He always gives me grief about, about me winning LA. He said, how, how in the world did you do that? This and that. But, um, yeah, we, we became pretty good friends and we teamed up for a shark shootout and, and, and honestly, that's probably one of the most fun events, um, that I had ever played at, uh, three different formats, three different days. And it was at Sherwood, which is a, as you know, great golf course. And, um, you know, Lanny keeps. He keeps saying that he he was he was my second caddy that week because he just kept telling me where to hit it, what what to hit, and this and that. Um, but he, he kept telling me, "Go, you know, if we shoot the lowest round every day, I think we'll win." And uh, and and yeah, and we did, and it, it was it was a really fun event.
1: Tom, you had a couple of top ten finishes in the U.S. Open. I want to start by talking about 1977. You had a share of the lead after the first round, and you were chasing Hubert Green for the next three rounds. And that was the year when someone called in saying that they were going to shoot Hubert Green out on the golf course on the 16th hole. And here he is, you know, on 14 at the time, and now all of a sudden he's got police escorts. You know, he's got to walk separately from his playing partners. You know, he had the option of, you know, getting fans off the course and delaying till the next day if he wanted, but he wanted to play on. Had to be an odd last round, at least last five or six holes. What was that? What do you remember from that tournament? What was it like for you?
0: Well, that was a, that was really tough last round. I was, I, I probably one of the better ball hitting rounds I've ever, I've ever had. I mean, the, the, those four days, um, playing really good, real confident. And then, you know, we got to the last day and, Hubert was playing right in front of me and and I could watch him as we were playing. Yeah, I think he was probably playing behind me, but you know, he was, he was hitting it, you know, like Hubert does, he misses a few greens and gets it up and down and stuff. And I was watching this and I was, I felt like I was playing better and just not making the putts when I needed to, but we got around to the back side and I was only, I think I was only one shot behind. It was just. It was Hubert then me and I was a, a shot behind him and all of a sudden on the 11th screen, they said, wait, we gotta, we need to slow you down here because we're, we've got to water these greens. And no, they didn't tell us, they didn't tell us, Hey, we're, we're slowing this down because Hubert had a death threat. No. So, you know, we're trying to figure out there's only one or two groups behind me and why are they, why are they? stopping our play. You know, you you, you want to have a little rhythm and momentum a, as you're playing. You don't want to have to stop and they stopped us three times uh within a span of about four holes and never told us why. So it was really it was really frustrating frustrating for me. Um and uh, I I ended up 13th hole of the par three along the road and the wind was blowing real hard across and they had made us wait on that tee box and, um, got up and hit, I had to hit a, I think I hit a two iron and got it up in the air and hooked it a little bit, hit a tree and kicked out of bounds. So that was, that was kind of my, kind of the end of my day. Um, but you know, it's just frustrating for me because, you know, they made us they kept making us wait and we couldn't figure out why. Um uh, couldn't you know, they didn't never told us that, hey, we're slowing you guys down, just and that. So, you know, it was uh, it was just really frustrating for me.
1: Well, fast forward a couple years to seventy nine at the US open as well. You're in the second to last group on Sunday, you're chasing down hail Irwin, you get off to a great start, birdieing three of the first four holes, including thinking a bomb from all the way across the green on number four. Talk about being in the mix there.
0: (laughs) How do you know that, Chris? (laughs) But yeah, that is, that that is true. It was a bomb on number four. Um, I, 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 I played for me, the U.S. uh, growing up, the U.S. Open was always my favorite tournament. My, the one that I wanted to win the most and this and that. and, um getting off to that great start, um I I felt like I had a pretty good chance. And then I got around to uh I think it was number number eight number seven or eight. It was a par five. And if you remember, I'm sure you do, that they put a tree up. We we yeah. in practice rounds, we were hit hitting it down the one of the other fairways. And then um Wednesday night, the night before the tournament, they planted this big thirty foot pine tree um, so you you almost couldn't go that way well you know and I was playing good and and I had made two birdies in the first three days going down the fairway and I got this great idea and I think you know probably it just showed my lack of experience um, um, but i I felt like you know I'm gonna try and go down this other fairway you could still you know if you missed this big big uh, spruce, you could still go down that other fairway and I hit a good drive. I hit it like I wanted to and, uh, um, it hit ticked down in underneath some, some other pine trees. So scrambled around there and I think I made par, but you know, I just, I just kind of lost, uh, lost a little momentum uh, on that hole. Um, uh, cause it was really a birdie hole, um uh, the whole week. I was, I was, Thinking if I went down the other fairway, I could have had a chance of making a, an eagle. And, you know, I think getting off in that good start, I thought, well, this is my day. You know, everything I do is going to turn out gold and, and, uh, and it kind of didn't, but you know, Inverness was a great golf course and anytime you're chasing hail, it's, it's tough. Um, but it, you know, it was a great experience. I, I um, you know, I, I had I had my chances there. The first, you know, couple couple times I played in the open and uh, just didn't get it done.
1: I want to touch back on what you said about the the eighth hole for a second, because it's it's sort of a head scratcher for me. The par five eighth hole. Here, you know, guys like Chi-Chi and Lon Hinkle and all they would turn like just like you said and drive it down the adjacent 17th fairway and then hit it back across to the eighth green. So to your point. You could get home in two and have a, have a shot at eagle, and then they plant this big old big old tree. And did they say anything to you guys? Were they just were they upset when they saw you guys in a practice round doing what you were doing? And clearly, it wasn't just you. Like that went that route. Did they say anything to you guys, or were you surprised when you got there the next day? Where the heck did this tree come from?
0: <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't say a word. I don't. I don't. I don't know whether they. I think they might have made a, a statement, you know, uh, Thursday morning. I think they may have, there might have been a, a post somewhere that said, Oh, and by the way, we've not, you know, I don't, I don't know that they did that, but, um, yeah, they didn't, it, it wasn't until you got around to there, um uh, to that hole that, oh, wait, that, what's that tree doing there? But, you know, <laughs> word kind of got around, word kind of got out fast. And, you know, we all, that was typical of the USGA back then.
1: Tom, you're also in the mix at uh, at the 1982 Open Championship over at Royal Troon, thanks to a brilliant second round 66. Take us uh, through what your experience was like in the Open Championship.
0: Well, I'd I'd never really that was the first time I'd ever played in the British Open or over in, uh, in you know England Scotland at all. So. It was all, it was all kind of new to me. I, I remember playing the, the Western Open here. Uh, and then I had a week before, uh, well, maybe five or six days before I was going to go, had to go over and qualify. And I remember they let me practice at, uh, Butler National, uh, a few days after the tournament. And all, I, all I remember doing is hitting low screaming, low screaming iron shots and and pitches and stuff, trying to keep the ball down because I was always a high ball hitter. So, you know, for for me playing in the wind, that that was that was always a challenge. But um you know, I, I I really enjoyed Troon right away when I first got over there and I just loved the people around there, you know, the Scottish people and and you know, I got to play a course called Western Gales. Um, for my, um, for my qualifying tournament. And, um, I got, I got over there, you know, a couple days early and got to play practice round and stuff. And I, looking for a caddy. And, and Jimmy was the caddy master. And he was probably, at that time, he was probably, I don't know, 65 or so older gentleman. And, um, he, <laughs> He said, You get through the he said, Lad, you get through the tournament and I'll caddy for you in the in the in the main event. So I said, Okay, that's the deal. So son caddied for me and, and I got through and he shows up on 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 Thursday, you know, I going in through and there's only one road uh going in and um I didn't I miscalculated, I wasn't planning on having that many people. So I got to my tee time. I got to the golf course 15 minutes before my tee time. So he's waiting there for me and um he's in a he's in a three-piece suit and a trench coat. And it was probably wow. I don't know, 75 or 80, but anyway. Um so didn't have much time to practice and I think I shot 76 the first day and then shot 66 the next day and got back in it, but um you know it was a great experience. I I love playing I love playing over there. And, I, you know, when when I was exempt, every time I was exempt, I played. And then I think I went over and tried to qualify a couple more times. But, you know, I love playing over there.
1: And, Tom, like I mentioned in your intro, you won five times on the PGA Tour and on top of the LA Open. You won the Phoenix Open in 84, the Southwest Classic in 88, the Southwestern Bell Colonial in 91, and then on the Champions Tour at the SBC Classic, the whole Classic out in Newport Beach, AT&T Champions Classic in Southern California. So really, put Southwest in the name or play the tournament in Southern California or Arizona, and you are the man to beat. What was it about the courses out in the Southwest and <laughs> Southern California that fit your eye so well? I
0: I don't really know other than,
3: uh, you know, I guess I must like Poana
0: Green. Um, but I don't know, for some reason, yeah, the only, so really the only tournament I went up north was the, uh, at Firestone there, World Series. Um, but other than that, you know, it was all, it was pretty much, you know, California, Arizona and, and one couple in Texas. Um, and I guess I was probably comfortable playing those golf courses because, um, those were pretty similar to what I grew up on. Um, but, you know, I just, I like the golf course, Valencia, the, the tournament, the champions tour event there, one twice there and, and once, uh, at Newport Beach. Um, you know, it's just, they're just fun golf courses. Um, you know, you, you drive it good and you get rewarded. And, you know, driving was probably usually the better part of my game. So.
1: Tom, just a couple more before I let you go, and you've got eight kids, two sets of twins, and your twin girls are Robin and Julie, named after Robin Yount and Julie Inkster. Talk about your relationship with those two.
0: I met Robin. Uh, we played in a in a little pro am, and he's a great you know great athlete, uh, but he was he could really play golf. He was a really good player and. We just hit it off. He's, uh, he loves cars. He loves to go fast and anything. Uh, so we had a few things in common and, um, so we, you know, we just hit it off. He's such, he's so down to earth. Uh, you'd never know. He was a, you know, two time MVP, you know, world hall of fame, uh, baseball player. And he's he just a, just a great guy, great human being. Um, And then Julie, we got paired, a friend of ours got us paired together in the
3: mixed team.
0: Um, her, I think it was her first year out on, on the tour for, uh, for the LPGA. And we, we got, we got hooked up in the, in the mixed team and we ended up winning. So that was a pretty good way of a start. But again, Julie's the same, same person as Robin, just. You know, a wonderful human being, just, uh, you know, down to earth. She loves all kinds of sports. Um, she's just a sports fanatic and, you know, and, and, you know, they're, they're not themselves. Um, and that's kind of unusual, um, in our sport. And I just, you know, I just enjoyed being around both of them so much. And we're still, the three of us are still friends uh to this day. And um you know, it's great. There, I've met so many, I've been lucky to have so many good friends you, you know, on on tour Jay Haas and uh Freddie Couples and um you know just a, a whole number of uh really good people. Um and I think that's you know a tribute to the our game, to the game of golf that you know, you 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 have to work with you have to work for what you get. And uh You know, you know, you don't have anybody else. You can't rely on anybody else to help you through. Um, And and it just, it's it's just, you know, as you know, golf is just a great game. Uh, And I think what Tom was saying earlier, you
3: know, the,
0: the 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 golf is getting the better athletes now. You know, they know that they can play, um, you know, for a length of time. Their career isn't as short as a lot of the other major sports so and the money's huge and um you know every everything about golf is it's become it's it's got it's always been a gentleman's sport and it's you know it's even still that way so um you know it's just i'm I'm fortunate that I was lucky enough to play that my dad uh introduced me to this great game,
1: Tom, talk about your golf academy and what you're doing now you know what i'm i'm that's I pretty much my
0: brother's golf academy. I'll help him, you know, if he needs, if he gets uh, a bigger group in or if he wants me to help him, I'll, I'll help him with the, with the academy. But, um, we're doing, we're still doing some schools. Um, and that's fun. I enjoy, I enjoy teaching. Um, I've had, well, I've been blessed to be, uh, with a lot of great teachers. Um, and, you know, I'm, I always, I always like hearing different philosophies on teaching and, um, and, you know, just get hearing different ways of doing the same thing. Um, I, I was really lucky and, you know, Peter Costas, Butch, Butch Harmon, I spent a lot of time with him. Um, and, uh, just so many good, really good teachers. I was lucky. Hank Johnson. You know, a lot of the golf digest teachers, um, I, I was able to hang around with those guys a lot. And, um, so that, that helped a lot. So I do enjoy teaching and my brother's a good teacher there in Phoenix. And, um, we, we do, we do have fun when we do some
3: clinics, um, and, and some schools. So other than that, um, I, I'm, you know, my, I, I've struggled
0: with my short game the last, uh, three or four years and, and as most golfers know, that's not much fun. If you're, if you're struggling with stuff like that, it, it makes it hard to score and it's frustrating. Um, but I still like in a few, uh, events in the, in our Southwest section. Um, so that's kind of fun. Um, so I do like doing that, but, uh, I just, I, I just enjoy the game. I still, I still like to hit balls. I've always liked to hit balls and, and practice you know that way um, but it's you know it's been fun and like i like i said i I get a chance to to help some people um uh, teach and i I help a few juniors uh around the phoenix area um so you know it's just it's a fun deal.
1: Well, Tom, how can our listeners stay up to date with what you're doing and, and follow you guys, whether it's, uh, online on your website or over social media?
0: Um, let's see. I'm on, I don't know that I'm huge on social media. I'm on, let's see. I'm on Facebook. I'm on, uh, Instagram. Uh, I got off of Twitter and, uh, my brother's got a, I think it's Pertzer Golf, uh, com. Um, that's how we can, how you can stay in touch. It's funny. I've, I've gotten, I've gotten to meet a lot of, a lot of guys, uh, on Facebook, you know, and there's so many golf is, is, has gotten me in touch with so many, you know, I got a bunch of new friends that are, and it's just totally golf related. So, um, but that's, but that, I think that's probably the easiest way. Um,
3: but I need to get a, I need to have a, a good, I need to have a good, um. Uh, what do you call it <laughs> I need to have a good website <laughs>
4: <laughs> indeed
1: well Tom thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show you're fantastic my friend I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime
0: anytime Chris I enjoy I enjoy listening to your show and your podcast and everything it's you're you're a knowledgeable, so I I enjoy I enjoy listening to your stuff.
1: Well, I appreciate that very much. Tom, stay safe. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again soon.
3: You got it, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me on. Absolutely.
1: Take care, Tom. Okay. That's the great Tom Purser. again, a nine-time winner on tour, fifteen total professional wins. Sweetest swing on tour. Tom Patrick talked about it at the top of the show. And uh, for those that uh, you're around my age and you remember watching Tom play on the both on the PGA tour and the Champions tour, you know why they say that he is such a great swing. And um, what a wonderful man. That was that was a lot of fun. I hope we get the privilege of catching up again with Tom real soon. Before I get to my next guest, Rob Strano, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Two Under. Two under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these 200 performance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all shields sports stores, PGA tour superstore, golf galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to 200.com. That's the number two, U N D R dot com. 200 performance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts, not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. Okay, now back in making his 11th appearance with me here on the show, is one of the top instructors in the game and the host of the Golf Kingdom TV show, which you can watch on Amazon Fire TV, Blab TV, and Roku, and that's Rob Strano. Rob's a great friend, and I always enjoy getting to spend time with him. Let me remind you a little bit about his background. He's from St. Louis, Missouri. As a junior player in the St. Louis District, Rob won the individual low-stroke average trophy and individual total points championship trophy in 1981. Played his college golf at Centenary College in Louisiana. He played out on the PGA Tour, the Corn Ferry Tour, and Hooters NGA Tours for 15 years, and won five times. Rob is annually recognized by U.S. Kids as one of their top instructors, plus he's one of the few teaching the game to deaf children. Rob has his Strano Golf Academy at Kelly Plantation in Destin, Florida. And as always, I'm honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey Rob, how are you, my friend?
4: Chris, great to be with you again. Love hanging out with you and boy. Following, like you said, one of the sweetest swings ever on tour and Tom Purser. I mean, I I, I feel my swing improving just following him on your show. I mean, I can I feel my tempo better already.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope I get a little bit of that through osmosis as well.
4: I, it's funny, is I have some uh, a couple bits of video of Tom from back in the early '90s on tour, and it's just some incredible video of him just on the range hitting balls. And as he's talking, I can still see this video running, you know, on a loop of just his golf swing. And and darn, it it was it was really good. And and uh, and and like you mentioned, you know, when your short game gets a little off, um, it, it makes it a little less fun to play. So. Tom, if you're still listening and you want to come to Florida and work on your short game, you're always welcome to to come by the academy and we'll we'll get you dialed in.
1: Yeah. So, and we're going to talk about some short game tips, Rob, and in, in just a minute, I want to get to those in a mo- in a minute. But a couple of things I want to hit with you first. Um, first of all, obviously your governor has lifted all the restrictions now for people. So t- t- tell me what's going on down there at Kelly Plantation and and your golf academy. Are you? Are you seeing an influx of people or things getting back to normal or what, what are you seeing from, uh, the participation?
4: Well, well, we've been back to normal since good gracious, Chris, last, last August, maybe. I mean, God bless, you know, Rhonda Stannis, best governor in, in the land has handled it just magnificently here in Florida. And we've been, we've been wide open. I mean, for a long, long time down here. Um, I ran into a, a lady and her daughter. In Walmart the other day and they had masks on and they were kind of looking at everybody weird I said I said what's wrong and they go they kind of shrugged their shoulders and I said I said ma'am where are you from they said Ohio I said you're in Florida now take those masks off and they took them off and started laughing and, and just went their merry way but we've been slammed the Academy um, a lot of people coming back to the game I, I get at least a couple of people every week that say you know I I quit playing for, you know, about 15 years for family and business. And and now because I want to get outside because of COVID stuff, they're coming back and taking lessons and going out and playing more. So down here in Florida, you know, we have a a ton of people every day playing the golf course and a ton of people taking lessons.
1: And Rob, your show, The Golf Kingdom, is just growing astronomically. And particularly the number of outlets now that you can see it on, you can see now on YouTube as well, as I mentioned at you know, at the top, some of the other places that it's available. Talk about how the show is going and where everyone can go watch it and subscribe to it.
4: Well, the show continues to roll along and continues to be a lot of fun. I had what I would quote unquote call a fanboy lesson today. Uh, a guy came from um was he I just said Ohio. Was he from Ohio too? Um he was he was from up north and and has downloaded the app for the show, watches it on the YouTube channel and said, you know, I'm going to be in Florida. I'm going to go see Rob for a lesson. And we had a great time. But the big thing is the the Golf Kingdom app. If you go to the app store and search the Golf Kingdom, you can get the app. All the shows are there. All the segments are broken down on their own libraries. If you want to get help on course, you go to the on course library. If you want help putting, you go to the putting library. All the fun stuff we do is broken down into A fun stuff category, all the quirky little intros we do where we parody other things like Indiana Jones movies and The Office and, um, the Brady Bunch to open the show. All that fun stuff is there. So he, he said to me, I asked him, I said, what do you love about the golf kingdom? And he said, well, aside from the golf stuff I get, he said, I love it because it's quirky. It's funny. You do quirky stuff to keep it fun and keep the show going. He said, It's the best golf show I've ever seen. And, you know, he said, I can't believe you don't have more viewers than you have.
1: Well, I certainly second that. You make this show and learning so much fun. You should have a huge audience. And I hope we have the opportunity a little bit through this show to bring more attention to the great things you're doing for the game, Rob. You're absolutely outstanding. And the golf kingdom is a fantastic show. Rob, I saw a post you put out on social media recently about one of the all-time great players in the game of golf, certainly over on the European Tour that stopped by your golf academy. Do you mind sharing that story?
4: Oh, absolutely. Well, it's a guy I've known since my junior year of college, um, and he was um he he stopped by Kelly Plantation my for my academy as last year traveling on the Champions Tour, and we're talking about Colin Montgomery. Well, Colin went to Houston Baptist University, and I had a teammate that knew him, so we would go down and hang out with him at Houston Baptist, and we'd play golf, we'd practice, we'd go to we just we'd go to dinner. He was he was the lone Scot on a team full of Aussies, so you know we went down and hung out. We had a great time, got to know him. He's a super superman, and um, when he came through this time, he was doing a little video shoot, and I said, hey, would you give me a few minutes? And just do a quick fun interview for the TV show. Cause I have guests on periodically from players I know and stuff. And he said, love to do it. And, and I, I asked him some questions. You know, he gets all the basic simple questions and, and I said, what are some questions that Colin Montgomery has never been asked? And, and I told him, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to give you some questions and I'm going to see if these are questions you've ever been asked. And I asked him, I'll give you two of them. There's five. I'll give you two. The first question, or one of the first ones was, what's a great shot you hit in the Ryder Cup that nobody knows about? And he had fun answering that one. And then the other one was, he's been a longtime member of Royal Thrune, one of the greatest golf courses in the world. And I said, you've got the famed postage stamp hole there. It's a 120-yard par three, very hard hole, but a very easy hole. You could almost throw it on the green. I said, what's the biggest score you've ever made there? And he talked about messing that hole up in his past. So we, we had a great time, and it was very nice of him to, to carve out that time to do the show for me and um, just, you know, share his – he's got a great personality. So the interview is really good. It's on a show coming up that comes out on May 12th.
1: Rob, I want to switch it up, and I want to start talking about some playing lessons and some other things uh, related to the game. One of the things that I think we do, and we by players like myself, when we take a lesson or we're playing and we don't, you know, we're, we're weekend warriors, we have expectations. We take a lesson, we have expectations for what we're going to take to the course. We don't, pl- we don't practice enough. We go out and play on Saturday and Sunday, but we still have expectations. Talk about how we should be setting proper expectations.
4: That's a great one. And that's kind of one of my, one of my platforms for this year. It, it, it seems I hear the same word all the time. I'm, Rob, I'm not consistent. Why so I'm inconsistent with this club. And I say, let me ask you a question. What do, what do you do for a living? And the guy will say, I'm a financial planner. I'll go, are you really good at it? He said, yes, I'm very successful. I said, do you just work at it an hour or two a day? No, all day, every day, five days, six days a week sometimes. I said, yeah. You eat, sleep, and drink it, don't you? Yeah. I said, I'm a past tour player. Tom Purcell is a tour player. My staff coach, Laura, is a former LPGA player, which makes our academy very interesting in that we have two tour players as coaches. aren't many of those in the world. But I said, as tour players, we eat, sleep, and drink the game, 365, We practice, rain or shine, hot or cold. We just totally engross ourselves in it. So with that amount of work, we can claim to try to be consistent or get consistent with the game. If you're not doing that, forget consistency. You're chasing your tail. I tell my players what I want you to do is I want you to get better golf shots. I want your bad shots to be better. Forget about consistency. Just if you're hitting it 30 yards right, let's make that only 15 yards right. Let's balance your shot pattern because everybody's shot pattern is an oval from high to low. So low right, you've got your weak little push. In the middle, you've got your nice draw, your nice fade or your straight shot, and on the high side of the oval, you've got your, your hot pole left. What you don't want is version patterns to be lopsided to where, like I just said, that right shot's 30 off, and the left shot is 10. We want to bring that right shot in, that that shot be better. And that's, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm telling my players. And I tell them, look, I don't want you to hit great golf shots either. I want you to hit a bunch of good ones. Great shots are just a statistical outlier. I've never in my career, and I've tried to think about this, Chris. I've never said to myself, and my caddy's never said to me, you know what, Rob, hit a great shot here. Or, Rob, you really need to hit a great shot, or I need to hit a great shot. I always have said, you know what, buddy, give me a good swing here, hit a good shot. I need, I need a good one here. The great ones just happen. You know, we do it all the time. We'll go, okay, I'm going to hit a good driver. And all of a sudden, we kill it. We go, holy smokes, is that smoke? So if you gave me a hundred shots, I'm going to hit probably 75 really good ones. Now I'm going to hit probably 17 or, or 18 great ones and then seven clankers. And they're just, they're like a statistical outlier too. So expectations, get them right in your head. All you listeners out there, you're not tour players. Just because you've hit a shot like a tour player once doesn't mean it's going to happen every time. And understand we miss them right and left. So you.
1: So to that end, Rob, knowing that we're not going to hit every shot perfectly, we're not going to catch it always in, in the sweet spot, at least for, for weekend warriors like me, what should our expectation be for how well we're going to hit the shot and do we need to really think about club selection? I always think, about, I always think in my head, well, you know, I hit my 8 on 150 yards. But if I put out 10 balls, 20 balls, or whatever, how many of those 10 or 20 am I going to hit 150 yards versus some are going to land at 147? I catch some really good ones. Like you said, it may go 155. What should our club selection be like based on setting that level of expectation?
4: Great, great question. And I'll answer it this way. You want to set it on a reasonable expectation according to your shot pattern and what you're looking at in front of you. So every shot's a little different. Some are a- Gigantically different, even with the same club and the same yards because of terrain in front of you. So you want to adjust your shot pattern via, via your aim pattern and then realize, yeah, you may come up short on one. You may come up long on one. There's nothing you can do about it. It's just the statistics of the game. Scott Fawcett at Decade Golf talks about this all the time. He talks about just you're, you're trying to do the best you can, but understand that. You're going to hit a long left one. You're going to hit a short right one. You may hit a fat one. You may hit a thin one. There's just no accounting for it. It's going to happen in the course of a round. Manage the next shot after that better and just get the ball in the hole. You know, it's, it's funny. I'll go out with my tour players, I coach, and we'll play a round of golf. And, and the recurring theme is as much golf, golf as I played before I coached, I play hardly any now. And I'll still go out, and I can get it going. I can get it two or three under par, but the interesting thing is through six or seven holes, I'm two or three under, and I get like three good shots. I mean, just three, three good ones. I've hit some thin ones that are on the green and, and some, some pulls that are on the green. The thing I know how to do is I know how to play the game. And that's the key thing. Golf, in essence, is a game. And some people just play the game better. And you watch the different swings on tour. Colin Montgomery, for one, after the interview on the show, I analyze the swing and talk about why the hip slide and tilt for him? What he does to make that work? And if he if he rotated his hips hard, like say a Jonathan Bird, you would never have heard from him because he would have been a career shanker of the golf ball. But Colin plays the game well. We just that's the key is playing the game, Chris.
1: Prob. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk putting, like you mentioned when uh, with uh, Tom Pertzer a little bit on the uh, end of the last segment. It's something I've heard you talking about, and some, some of the things that uh, I've started to observe are guys like Dustin Johnson, right, making sure the elbows are tucked against the body. You see Dustin Johnson now taking his left arm and touching his right elbow, making sure it's, it's attached by his hip over on, on the right side. So talk about having the <coughs> elbows tucked in and, uh, and tight to our bodies and what that can do to help us make more putts.
4: Well, what what you're doing is what I call framing. I believe there is a correct framing to putt well. And then there's attachments to that that go to the nuances of maybe someone that needs a different way to attach it to, to, to help them with a yippie stroke or something like that. But, but when you frame the elbows, it's, it's a, just a little bit individualistic according to the body frame of the player. The thing you want to avoid is getting your elbows too far down your side. So, you know, in the process of framing what I work with at the player starts with the shoulder complex because the shoulders are a bunch of floating bones they're attached to nothing. so when you set up, you want to frame the shoulders to the collarbone, which means you you round them exactly what you your mom and dad wouldn't let you do. You slouch and round your shoulders to the collarbone. Now the shoulders are framed to that they're they're subdued to that, so to speak. they have to be attached to something because they're not. So when you round them to the collarbone, now they're framed to that. Now the elbows will come together and slot and frame in front of your torso so that they can move, you know, efficiently in front of you and around your rib cage. You 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 fuse that all together and, and have the hands trained, and now you have a very effective stroke that has very limited movement in it, and it's very, very consistent, and the key is it's anatomically correct.
1: Rob, you've put out a great video on the impending doom with downhill putts. It's always hard for me to judge how hard to hit it when I've got a ridge to putt down. How can I do a better job of judging how hard to hit it so it doesn't go rolling past the pin and then off the green?
4: Well, real quick, very simple, uh, efficient, or simple, quick answer to that question is this. Downhill putts, depending on the speed of the green, hards are very quick. It's like putting down a kid's slide. So when I sit at the top of the slide, I push myself to get going and then eventually the slide takes over and it moves me fast down to the bottom. Same thing on a putt. What you have to figure out on a putt is at what point do you lose control of this? And the green's going to take it down there. So I do a a segment. I think it's on the current show where I put a water bottle down at a point of a downhill putt and I go, this is where the green's going to take over. I'm just trying to get the ball from A to B. And the green will take it from B to C. And that just takes a little bit of experience and imagination. I grew up with a putting green in my backyard. So I, I see this stuff real quick, real simple. But what you do with a player is if you and I are working on it and you messed it up, I'd say, hit it again and fix what you just saw happen. And the player gets it in two or three pots. And a lot of golfers just seeing it once and going, I've seen this before. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to hit it to this spot and the green will take it the rest of the way. And that's just really the simple one-two of that.
1: So, Rob, let's back off the green, say, 10 yards. And and we've got a chip shot now to maybe a slightly elevated green. Some of us approach that shot with some stretch because we're afraid we're either going to chunk it and it's barely going to get on the green, or we're going to blade it and it's going to go way over the green. What can we do from a, a grip pressure, ball position, club selection standpoint so that we actually hit that, that shot pretty close to the hole.
4: Here's, here's where everybody messes that one up, Chris. And it happens in your brain before you ever try to execute it. And I grew up, I grew up at St. Clair Country Club with Bob Gobi, Jay Haas, Jerry Haas, Frank Connor, four of the tour players. And we have a multitude of blind shots there, a bunch of them to where you're playing from down to up, some from around the green, some from the fairway, some from off the tee. When you can't see where the ball is going to touch the ground, your brain loses mental capacity to execute a shot. When you can't see it land, you can't imagine it landing normal. You're going, I can't see it land. This is going to hit and go 70 yards over the green. It's just going to hit and roll and roll and roll. No, it's going to land like it lands on every other green on the golf course is what it's going to do. So what happens is before you ever hit the shot, you mentally lose capacity to execute it because you can't, see the ball land, therefore you can't visualize it landing, so it back washes into your execution. First thing you've got to do on these blind little uphill shots where you can't see the green surface is just realize it's going to land like every other shot you hit that's an elevated shot. It's going to hit, it's going to land soft, and it may roll 5, 10 feet. It is not going to hit, you know, it's not going to fly up on the green and all of a sudden a turtle was crossing the green and it hits a turtle shell and goes in the bunker. No. It's going to go up there and land normal. So number one thing is that. Number two thing on these uphill shots is it's it's a setup thing, and that's where getting a lesson on this from your local uh, instructor will help you on these these shots up and over. But the thing you've got to do is just avoid the urge to try to help the ball up. You've got to realize there's a limit on how high it will go unless you're trying to flop it. But if you're just playing a 60-degree wedge from a neutral setup, it's only going to go so high. So don't try to help it higher. Just get what I call the safety little pitch, ball in the middle, shaft vertical, clip it off there with an even tempo, and just knock it up on the green and let your putter be the superstar. Knock
2: it in.
1: Rob, you're being from St. Louis. I know you're a big St. Louis Blues fan. I've got former Chicago Blackhawks goalie and a member of the Blues broadcast team, Darren Pang, coming up next. I know you're... Your Blues are coming off a Stanley Cup championship from a couple of seasons ago. They're currently fourth in the West Division. How do you feel about your Blues' chances this season?
4: Well, we're finally starting to get a little healthy. I mean, we've been so banged up that you know anybody that comes back is going to make the team better. I still love the nucleus, the team. I love the the roster. I love the heart we've got. Coach Baruvi, golly, I, I he's I want to play for him. And and, and if Panger's listening. Holy jumping. I'm so excited that you're on tonight and I'm honored that I'm, at, I'm, I'm leading into you. Um, you know, I love the broadcast team. They've got a great team up there. And I have a bunch of videos from the Stanley cup on my, my computer. And I go back and watch them periodically and just, I get goosebumps all over again. And I've been, I go back to the old barn on Oakland Avenue, you know, go with my buddies to watch the blues play Gary Unger era and John Davidson way back with those guys. And, um, Uh, You know, hockey has got a big place in my heart. Great, great sport. I mean, next to golf, I I love hockey and going to hockey games. Um, And one of the big things I miss about my hometown of St. Louis is being able to go watch my Blues play. But, but they're, uh, they're, they're close to my heart. and, And when they won, I, I jumped on a plane and went home from the parade. I wasn't missing that.
1: Rob, before I let you go, my friend, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media.
4: Well, the first thing listeners can do is go download my app, the Golf Kingdom, at the App Store for my TV show. I do a daily feed of stuff there. It's the best place to keep up with me. Online, stranogolf.com is the website for scheduling lessons and seeing what's going on at the Academy. Social media, Instagram, Instagram. Um, Twitter, Facebook, um, Rob Strano, Strano Golf Academy. The Golf Kingdom is also out there for that. If you have an Alexa-enabled uh, device, you can enable the Golf Kingdom skill there. You can say, Alexa, open the Golf Kingdom, and you'll get a free audio tip from me every day there also. So it's I'm, I'm a lot of places.
1: <laughs> you are indeed. And what you also are is fantastic, my friend. You always make this segment so much fun. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of this show. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon, Rob.
4: Well, thanks so much. And like I said, I'm excited because I'm hanging around and listening to the Panger and you talk golf, talking hockey. I, I almost, I can almost see the arts coming up on the horizon here as Darren Pang gets ready to come on. <laughs> Have a great rest of the show with, with that great guy. And thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely, Rob. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon.
2: You bet. Thanks, Chris.
1: See you, Rob. That's a great Rob Strano. Again, the Golf Kingdom. It's a very unique show, folks. It's a lot of fun. It's sort of golf first variety type show. So you have fun. You get a lot of great lessons and information from Rob, uh, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Again, it's available out on YouTube. You can uh, get, uh, as he talked about, download the app. It's also available on Amazon Fire TV, Blab TV, and Roku. And Rob Strano, folks, is one of the great people you get to meet in this life. And uh, not only is he a, a great instructor, he's a fantastic human being and a great friend. And I look forward to catching up with Rob, hopefully, like I say, real soon. All right. before I get to my next guest, Darren Pang, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? I'll tell you what, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares golf shoes. The patented square toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour, an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent tests prove it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com, that's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com, and get Squares 30-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DISTANCE for $20 off. Remember, DISTANCE comes from swing speed and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. And folks, I wouldn't tell you about it if I didn't experience it for myself. I've never felt more stable in my golf swing, which allows me to swing faster and launch it further. Squares, the DISTANCE golf shoe. I also want to give a shout out to another new sponsor, Bionic Gloves. Do what you do better with Bionic Gloves. Whether you're looking... To own the golf greens, improve your workouts, or get your hands dirty in the garden, Bionic Loves has you covered. Designed with a hand specialist, Bionic Loves feature patented innovations that help improve your grip. The strategically placed anatomical relief pads also prevent calluses and blisters, while the web and motion zones allow for greater dexterity and flexibility. Head over to BionicLoves.com to find the perfect glove to up your game. And I want to remind you about our friends over at Zexio. In 2001, Zexio Strixon began making clubs for men and women, and they've improved on those clubs every year since. Every part of Zexio clubs are made exclusively for Zexio. Everything is light and balanced. Swing weights are made to give us the highest smash factors. And the best part of getting fit for Zexio clubs is hitting it higher and straighter than ever before. Changing your game. Zexio Clubs are a Golf Digest Hot List Gold winner for 2021. Congratulations to Zexio Ambassador M.B. Park for her five-stroke victory earlier this year at the Kia Classic. It was her 21st victory, and she did so using Zexio 11 Woods and 10 Irons. See how Zexio can help your game as well. Go online to ZexioUSA.com and pick which set is right for you. All right, now next on the tee with me is former Chicago Blackhawks goalie and now a member of the St. Louis Blues broadcasting team, and that's Darren Pang. Darren grew up in Nepean, Ontario. He played youth hockey for the Nepean Raiders alongside Red Wings Hall of Famer Steve Iserman and a guy who is a great friend of the show, Dan Quinn. Darren was the first goalie drafted by the expansion Belleville Bulls for the Ontario Hockey League. In 1984, he helped the Ottawa 67s win the OHL's Memorial Cup, and he was named top goalie and to the All-Star team as well. He was signed as a free agent by the Blackhawks that season, got called up and played one game for the Blackhawks in 1984, but was there full-time starting in 1987, got his first win that year in October against the Winnipeg Jets. He set a Blackhawks record with six assists as a goalie that season, Played until 1990 when a knee injury ended his career. Now you can hear Darren broadcasting for the St. Louis blues, the NHL network and sports net. He will forever live in my heart for the great job he's done during the winter Olympics. And I'm very honored to have him with me tonight here on next on the T. Hey, Darren, thanks for coming on the show.
5: Well, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, that was quite an introduction. I got to tell you that uh, that's more than I deserve, but, uh, a pleasure. I know we've been working on this for a little bit of time. And, uh, and so for that, I'm, I'm thankful to come on the show. Well, thank you very much.
1: And Darren, um, before we get into your playing career and, and then in the NHL and your hockey life, uh, you got a relationship with Mira Golf and, and I got to know you and Dan Quinn playing around the golf. I'm sure you've teed it up with Danny several times. Who, who's walking mm-hmm. away with the money on the 18th green?
5: No, uh, he he's always walked away with the money. you know it's it's funny that Danny Quinn and I played hockey together in Ottawa. Um we were probably seven, six or seven years of age. He's a year younger than I am. And so every other year I would jump up, um, and then he would jump up. So we'd always play, you know, at, at that particular point. And and then I he left when I we were twelve or thirteen, he left for London, Ontario. And when he went to London he really picked up golf and he um he became an outstanding uh, amateur and junior golfer in Canada, and every time we got together after that, I would play tennis or lacrosse, and I played all kinds of sports. And Danny would always say to me, "Come on, let's play some golf." And I, I would think back down, like golf, what it like? We're not playing golf. That's that you know we can't. And we're let's do something active. And anyway, let's play squash or something. And uh, and and oh, as the years have gone on, I mean, Danny and I have never ever lost touch um and we talk quite often i was just in florida uh boy might might have been a couple of months ago i go down marty brodeur is actually at pine tree in boynton beach and uh, while we were there we hooked up with danny and uh i hate to be a name dropper because is terrible but uh, wayne gretzky was also in town and so we got together this group and it, we had so much fun playing golf but who walks away with the money Quinter always walks away with the money on the golf course. He's a great golfer, but uh, more than, more than anything, as you well know, uh, he's a, he's a wonderful person to be around. And especially on the golf course where that's, I think that's his common ground. That's where he's at his very best. And he's such a, he's, he just thinks of everybody else when he's on the golf course. So, uh, so I would say Quinter for sure takes the, takes the cash.
1: So let's talk a little bit about uh, a couple of things we've mentioned so far. And you just mentioned Wayne Gretzky and I know, uh, you worked doing color commentary for the coyotes back when, when Wayne Wayne was there and uh, as their head coach. So talk about playing golf, you know, with Wayne Gretzky, what's that like? It is
5: fantastic. Uh, in fact, he's, you know, as you know, I'm in St. Louis here and, and Wayne, um, owns a home here with Janet. And so they spend an awful lot of time here. So, um, he plays out of a club called old warson uh, country club, which, uh, I believe it hosted the 1971 Ryder Cup. Um, just a beautiful country club. So he's been playing out of there and, and over at Boone Valley. So I get a chance to play with Wayne quite a bit when we're here. And, um, to play with Wayne is just a great experience because he, uh, loves his cigars. He loves to have fun. He loves to tell stories. And he's competitive as, as, as all heck, as you well, as anybody would w- well understand. So, um, that part of it is great. In fact, Marty Broder also lives here in, uh, in St. Louis. And so I play an awful lot of golf with Marty as well. Um, so we've got a really good setup here in St. Louis. Um, some wonderful golf courses. Um, in fact, I just played one of the, one of the greats at Charles Blair McDonald this afternoon, uh, St. Louis Country Club. So, uh, Seth Raynor and Charles Blair McDonald Club and, uh, just beautiful right in the heart of the, financial district here in, in St. Louis. So um, if if if, if you're, any of your listeners haven't been here or they know somebody, there's, there's a lot of great courses here.
1: And, Darren, when we started communicating, you mentioned that you're a social ambassador from Eurogolf and how much you love their golf clubs. How would you get involved with them?
5: Uh, it was a while ago. I was working with uh, the Arizona Coyotes at the time as a broadcaster, and Grant Peer was our goalie coach. And in the summertime, he said, Hey, would you, would you want to come to Vancouver and play in one of, uh, you know, my charity event there? Um, and it just so happened about two weeks earlier than that, um, Fred, Fred Couples is a good friend of, of Gretz's, And, and so, um, we end up playing, oh, I don't know what courses we played out there, but we, I think we might have played Silverly for a couple of courses. And, and I looked at his clubs. I said, Freddie, those aren't those clubs that, that had the name on them. And I said, "What are those?" And he told me the whole story about Mira. And he said, "You know, a lot of guys use mirrors, and they might get, you know, uh their product stamped on the mirror clubs." And I said, "That's unbelievable." I said, "Those look beautiful." And uh, so anyway, we were talking about that. It wasn't two weeks later that I end up playing in Vancouver, and the and I, I meet this this fella. Uh, his name is Bill Holloway. He's the COO of Mira, and he's got these beautiful blades sitting on his on his golf bag and we start talking and uh you know like you know this world is so small but um a kid that was the third overall draft pick of the coyotes kyle turris is from that vancouver area and i actually had him he lived with a house when he just made it as a as a as a pro just for you know four or five months just before he could get his house settled and we just try to help him out a little bit um and so uh so this guy knew Kyle really well. And I said, what a small world. That's great. And then I, I, I went on about the mirror clubs. And he goes, tell you what, I'll send you a couple of six irons with different shafts. And what do you like? And I said, I like them two degrees flat. And I'm only five, four and a half. So I I always have them a little. And uh, I, I said, that would be great. Well, from that point on, I have used mirror clubs. I have not stopped one bit. I've not put, you know, another iron into my into my bag of clubs over the years and and that's, that's how I've done it. And, and obviously, you know, in order to be an ambassador, you you know, you, you send out a few pictures here or there and you tell people about your clubs and, and, uh, you just, you, you don't have to do very much with Mira because there's such beautiful irons, especially, and, uh, they sell themselves. So I'm, I'm, I'm really honored to use them and, and, uh, you know, and, and, and be part of Mira because I, I think it's, I, I think they're just fantastic irons. And, and so if people haven't seen them, uh, you know, you can get on Instagram or you can get on Twitter or whatever, get on mirrorgolf.com and, and take a look at them because they're just quite beautiful.
1: Darren, I want to go back and let's talk about uh, your hockey career. And as I'm sure people are are curious, a guy 5'5", what, what, 134, I believe you were when you when you came into the <laughs> league. How, yeah. how does that work out to, to be, uh, it's not the typical goalie measurement. Talk about how that became your position of choice.
5: Well, it's, it's funny when, when, you know, when I was playing junior hockey and, and breaking in, I didn't think I was this small, uh, until I actually saw a lot of pictures of me when I made it. And, uh, I'm thinking to myself, boy, that net looks really big behind me. But, you know, in my era, I'll be quite honest with you, goalies were a little bit smaller. They weren't five foot four and a half or five five, but they were probably five seven to five ten The John Van Beest the Mike Vernons, Um, you know, goalies like that, um, were, you know, they weren't the biggest guys. And now in the NHL, they want defensemen that are that small and goalies that are six foot six now. So it's been a remarkable change. But I was very, very lucky to be able to to, to get a chance to play in the NHL because, you know, I signed with the Blackhawks after we won the Memorial Cup. I got a $2,500 signing bonus. I called the general manager, Bob Pulford and I was nearly in tears. I was so thankful to get a bonus. The funny part is he told me I could buy a nice sports car with it and I had to kind of go, I'm not sure what kind of sports car I'm getting with $2,500. But, uh, (laughs) but anyway, I'll take the bonus and I'll, you know, then I ended up going to Chicago for my first training camp in 84 and I got sent down to Milwaukee and then I got recalled because our other goalie, Jim Ralph got injured. So I got a chance there and then the playoffs started and I, they called me up because I was, I was the third goalie. So I, I, I got to experience you know, how great these players were Denny Stevard and Doug Wilson and Steve Larmer. Um, man, we, we, Troy Murray was such a great player, Bob Murray as well. So, you know, I got to learn a little bit and then I got sent down the next year to Saginaw. Then I got sent down the next year to Saginaw. And then I got <laughs> moved ahead that same year to Halifax. And from Halifax, I got recalled to Chicago. And then I got sent back to Halifax for the playoffs. And, uh, uh, The next year, I, I came into Chicago again, and I had a really good camp, and I ended up making the team. So, you know, I had coaches that believed it didn't matter how big or small I was. One man in particular is Wayne Thomas, former NHL goalie, was our goalie coach, and he really went to bat for me. He coached against me in the minors for three years. He believed in what I was all about, He thought I was ready for it, and uh he put a stake in the ground for me, and I'm forever thankful for that because I'm not sure... Um, if there was somebody else there that I would have ever got a chance uh, to even play. I only played 81 games in the NHL, but that's a, that's still, when I think back at it, that's a lot of games for a guy that probably shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. So I'm, I'm pretty thankful for that.
1: And Darren, you mentioned some of the great coaches you got to play for. Brian Kilray is probably one of the great junior coaches of all time. Talk about playing for uh, for him. Wow,
5: Brian Kilray was, is, is the very best, the greatest coach I ever had. Um, we have so many guys that have come you know, from our team, um, that are prominent NHLers. Bruce Cassidy, you know, the head coach of the Boston Bruins and a coach of the year and took the Bruins to the Stanley Cup final. A dear, a really dear friend of mine. Um, and he's one of them. And then, you know, when I think back at, um, other guys, I think back at, you know, Brad Shaw, he's an assistant coach with, with, uh, with Columbus and he's fantastic. Um, I just, uh, they're just, I, I just, you know, that, that group and Bruce, I'll tell you what about Brian Kilray. Brian Kilray could take you to the highest level. And when you got a little too high and full of yourself, he could drop you down a notch and then he could kick you in the stomach a little bit and then he could push you back up again. So if you understand what that is, that's. That's really hard to do, but he did it incredibly well. Um, and still to this day, I'm, I'm good friends with Brian Kilroy.
1: And Darren, I heard for your first game with the Blackhawks, you go out there, no pang on the back of the jersey. How can an NHL <laughs> team send a player out there, no pang on the back? What's up with that? And you, you believe that
5: because it, I mean, how, how do you not have, it's only four letters. Like seriously, it's not like, Joe Neuwendijk or something like that, or it's not like, it's not, it's not Van, it's not Van Beesbrook or something like that. So, um, you know, I, 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 I got it. My first game was in Minnesota. That was when I started, but the the first game in my, I was against Montreal at home in Chicago Stadium and Larry Robinson was with Montreal Canadiens at the time and he pulled, uh, Doug Wilson, which was our best defenseman and they knew each other real well. And he said, he said, Willie. He says, where is the other half of your goalie? And I thought that was the funniest line ever. <laughs> and the way he said it, and Doug Wilson, he couldn't wait to tell me that story, which I thought was great. But the next night uh, we were in Minnesota and the, the, the coach Bob Poppert says, you get ready. You're going to start this game. So I, so I start the game. And once again, the second game, I don't have my name on the back of my sweater. And so I'm in Minnesota at the Met center and there's, and, and, uh, there was a little bit of a break in the action must've been a commercial break or whatever. So it was very quiet. And all I could hear is some guy in the stand say, Hey, Pang, the peewees are on next. You know, one of those statements <laughs> and I kind of look up and I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be a fun ride for me. And, uh, so that was another good line that I, that I heard along the way. So I've heard them all and I've enjoyed them all. But, uh, uh, yeah, I do believe that your first NHL game and you don't have the name on the back of your sweater. And that's now I, I mean, that's embarrassing to be quite honest with you, but it, it tells a good story anyway.
1: Darren, I was looking at a lot of your highlights as I was preparing for the show and I want to take you back to 1987. Your end goal for the Blackhawks is late November against the Kings. Bobby Carpenter gets a pass right in front of the net sort of Deeks left and comes back you know, to a nearly wide open net on the right side, and you sprawl back over and make an amazing glove save. Do you remember that play? Oh, my goodness.
5: Wow, you saw that? Yeah, I do remember that play. Um I remember it because Bob Mason started the game, and I replaced him. And Bob Mason and I are good friends, and he's an avid golfer, by the way. This guy loves golf. He kind of got me going really into golf as well. Um Passionate Minnesota guy. Um, that day, Bob forgot to tell me that he'd never completed a game in L.A. So, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go to Venice Beach for the day. I mean, I've never been to L.A. before in my life. And so, me and Steve Thomas, who was injured at the time, um, belongs to a great Country club, by the way, uh, Toronto Golf Club, one of the oldest in, uh, in North America. So anyway, Steve Thomas says, let's, let's go, let's go to the beach and we'll go walk around. I said, great. We go to the beach. It's beautiful. Neither one of us put any kind of lotion on our head. And, and I'm lacking hair as it is. I go back to the room. I might have catch, you know, catch a half an hour, just little you know, close my eyes for a second. Then we get on the team bus, get, get to the game and get going. And what, 10 minutes into the game, Bob Mason gets pulled, he gives up three goals. The boys are looking at my head. Now it's really red. Cause I am burnt. So I put on the mask. I get out on the, I get out there. I had brand new white pads on. I just got them. I'd never worn them in a game before. And the, Bobby Carpenter had that move. I actually kind of slipped. He tried to pull it to the one side. I was kind of on the ice and it lands right in my glove. So I end up playing really well that game and they start me the next night or two nights later or whatever it might have been in Edmonton. And with these these white pads that I had um, that were the best pads I've ever had. I went into Edmonton and uh we lost the game 4-3, but it was the Gretzky heyday of 1987. And I had 54 shots and I made 50 saves. So it goes down as my... You know, I think that save by on Carpenter kind of springboarded me to a lot of confidence. And, uh, and I end up, you know, going to Edmonton and playing a really good game that night and stopping 50 shots, even though we lost. And, and I kind of carried that on, uh, for the rest of the year.
1: And, Dan, like I mentioned in your intro, I've really enjoyed your work during the Winter Olympic Games. What's it like doing a, an event of that magnitude?
5: Oh, wow. It was, it is so great. I mean, the first one that I got called to, I was working at ESPN, and uh, my agent at the time was Lloyd Friedland, and he called and said, hey, CBS called, and they would like you to go to Nagano to do the Olympics. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that is unbelievable. So I was literally, before there was a between-the-benches spot, um, CBS and the World Feed uh, put me between the benches right there in Nagano. For all the games that we did on CBS, I was between the benches with no glass on either side. And John Davidson was our main analyst up in the booth and I was down below and it was so much fun. Uh, JD and I had such a great time in, in Nagano and, and just the culture and the food and just the spirit, uh, that they all had there in Nagano for, for the game of hockey, especially because Gretzky was on that team and Patrick Waugh and you know all the hall of famers on team canada and the usa and you know sweden and the czechs the czechs won that year with uh with Dominic Koshik standing on his head so uh that was great 2002 with the with NBC was a lot of fun as well with uh Salt Lake City Canada won their first gold and Wayne Gretzky was in charge of that and they you know it was such a great game against the Americans in the, in uh, in the final so uh, you know that was that was good too because I was also in the same position I was before in 98 and um And then in 2010, Canada called me and CTV and uh uh TSN and uh they called and said, would you want to go as, a, as an analyst in the studio, which was right at the rink, right above the right above where the golden goal was scored by Sidney Crosby on, on Ryan Miller. And so Bob McKenzie, Nick Kiprios and myself were the between periods analysts and we just had a blast there in Vancouver. So really a tremendous memories. Very lucky to be able to do that. And, and go to the Olympics and just see what that was all about, because that is the, you know, those are highlights of any broadcaster's dreams and, and career for sure.
1: And Darren, have you had an opportunity? And I think you have, but I, I was trying to find uh, some examples of you working alongside Doc Emrick, because Doc to me is like the Vince Scully of hockey. Do you get mm-hmm. an opportunity to work with Doc?
5: Many, many times over, and uh, and he is, he's he is a Vince Scully. He's a special person. I'm glad you asked about Doc, because even though we weren't regular partners all the time, because while I was at ESPN, you know, he was, uh, boy, he was at Fox. He did some games for ESPN. Uh, I did some games with him at NBC and NBC Sports Network. Um, incredibly talented, passionate. Uh, and people think because he's, you know, I mean, he's got such a way with words and he loves the artistry of the game, but, he loves the scraps in the game. He loves the toughness in the game. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, grew up in the minor leagues and, and, you know, the East Coast Hockey League, or I think back then it might have been called the Federal League and the American Hockey League and whatever. So he's, he's grown up admiring the tough aspects of the game. And, uh, and so I, I just love talking hockey with Doc and uh, what a special career he had. So just, uh, obviously one of the all time greats in any sport. And that's why he's, uh, he left the game. Um, with such honor and, and just how he was just applauded by so many people. So yeah, good on doc. And in fact, in the summertime, I've got a little summer place in Michigan and he's only about an hour away. So all that time he's lived in Michigan and traveled from there, um, almost on that, uh, that Sarnia, uh, border, uh, between the, the U.S. and, and Canada. So, um, I'll make sure I I'll make sure when I see doc that I mention that, uh, we did the show and that he, uh, that his name got brought up because I'm sure he'd be delighted
1: yeah and I'd certainly love to have an opportunity to talk to him, so plant that seed for me if you would no problem. Um, I'll absolutely
5: do that i'll I'll lean him in your direction.
1: I appreciate you, Darren. A couple more before I let you go we obviously we need to talk about the st louis blues twenty four nineteen and seven fighting for uh, a playoff spot give Give us uh, your thoughts is this is this a team that could make a run at another Stanley Cup?
5: I, I believe they can make a run at it. I, I believe that they are not the team they were in 2019. Um, because just, just quite frankly, because of the D at that time, I mean, having big Colton Preco, uh, with Jay Bowmeister and Alex Petrangelo uh, there, they, they just covered a lot of space. But in saying all that, they still have what's necessary to win. There's a certain amount of pride and stubbornness that they have and they're playing like a team again. You remember in 2019 at the beginning of the year, there was one point where I was between the benches. And I remember how frustrated the players were. Mike Gill was the coach. Craig Berube was the assistant. And the players just, they just weren't playing for one another. They're, they'd added several players like Bozak and Maroon and, and O'Reilly. And I remember on there saying something, and it was kind of a bold statement by me, but I, uh, John Kelly asked me from the booth, what's going on down there at the bench? And I just kind of blurted out, I said, "John, until these players check their ego at the door and start playing for the front of the sweater instead of the back of their sweater, I said, they're not going anywhere." I said, "That's what they're going to have to do." And 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 I I just I said it and then I kind of, "Whoa, I got back to my spot and I thought, "Wow, that was a little bit bold." But, you know, it ended up being a a truthful statement. And the players later I talked to and they they admitted that that there were so many new players that they they weren't playing for one another. Well, this year we have so many new young players, Jordan Cairo. I mean, Robert Thomas was was there before, Tammy Blay. Um, you've got young defensemen like Nico Mikola. So to go, these players are learning how to play the game that the St. Louis Blues play. That's why I'm optimistic that the Blues can challenge anybody. I believe they can with Bennington and net, and I believe people, you know, have really noticed how good Justin Falk is. Um, and as long as Colton Preko is healthy, Which it looks like he's getting there, then I think we can defend with the best of them out there and we can challenge anybody. So, in answering your question, I do believe that the Blues will give it their best shot and have a chance to beat any one of these teams.
1: Darren, um, back to golf for one more question before I let you go. Your son Tyler is an assistant golf pro at Raritan uh, Valley Country Club up in New Jersey. How's Tyler doing?
5: Wow, that's really great. Yeah, he's doing fantastic. Um, uh, Tyler's got a, a baby girl that's, uh, almost 10 months old and another one on the way. And he, uh, he went to St. Peter's College in New Jersey on a golf scholarship. And that's where he met his wife. That's why he lives in New Jersey. Um, he was at, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Glen Echo here in St. Louis. Um, it, it hosted the, the first Olympic games where Uh, a Canadian beat an American on the, I think the 16th or 15th hole. And it's, uh, uh, beautiful little old country club. So he was there and then he went over to Heron Glen. Uh, I think that's a Kemper sports property in New Jersey before he, uh, before he's closer to his house and, and over there at Raritan Valley. So Tyler's doing fantastic. He loves the game. He loves teaching. He's great with kids. He's got more patience than uh than the average person by a country mile so he's a he's a special kid and i appreciate you asking that he he also uses the mira baby blades and he has used them for years loves the smaller of the blades for mira and uh never doesn't take him out of his bag
1: well darren before i let you go let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and follow you whether it's it's online or it's over social media
5: well, thank you for saying that. It's uh on Twitter it's at panger 40 and on uh on Instagram it's uh, Darren Arpen. Um I I I really I tie in mostly with uh uh with Twitter uh, just because the information hockey people and and what you get for whether it's stats or research or games and every, everything driven for my for my work is really a lot on uh on on Twitter, but uh, those are the two ways. Um Obviously, I work for Valley Sports Midwest here in St. Louis and, and, uh, I do some work with NHL network as well. But, um, everybody knows that they can find me on the golf course. I, I belong to Meadowbrook Country Club here in St. Louis and, uh, a course called, um, Prestwood Village Golf Club in, uh, in Highland Township, Michigan that I spend the summers with. So I, uh, everybody knows that that's, that's what I do. I, I, I putt, I bring clubs, I, I play golf and, uh, and I love the game of hockey and, so it's a pretty good combination. So um I I people can find me there that's for sure.
1: Well Darren it has been a huge thrill having you as part of this show tonight. I hope you'll come back sometime, share more of your stories and uh, your insights with us. You're fantastic.
5: I will anytime. I you know I I by honest to goodness I some of my friends say I think you only work in hockey just to pay for your golf. I said maybe that's the case. <laughs> so <laughs>
3: No well, doubt. Thank you for
5: having me on. I really appreciate it. It's been fun uh following you and thanks for all the uh shout outs that you give to uh uh to all the you know to all of us that uh, uh that are on social media and uh that, that certainly gives us a big boost and I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Darren. Take care, my friend. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you, and you again got soon. It. Sounds See
3: good. You Darren. Have a good night. Okay, you too.
1: That's Darren Pang at Panger40 on uh, on social media. And, uh, folks, you, you want to talk about a great broadcaster and a, and a guy that's got so many great stories and um, brings such great insight to now, obviously, to both games, right? Hockey and golf. So hopefully we get the privilege of having Darren back on the show again soon. And like I say, follow him and check him out. Um, you're going to really enjoy the things that, that he puts out there over social media. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick, Tom Perser, Rob Strano, and Darren Pang for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what my guest schedule looks like. And scheduled to join me next week are Brent Dornford, who is the marketing director for a course that's on the top of my bucket list, and, and it's probably on yours as well, and that's Oldhead. Over in Ireland. Go check it out online, folks. Oldhead.com. Brent joined me a couple of years ago, and it's going to be great catching up with him. Also joining me is going to be Evan Schiller. He'll be on the show for the first time. And Evan is a is a wonderful PGA professional, played his college golf at the University of Miami, and may just be the best photographer on the planet now. And and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Go online to Evan Schiller, S C H I L L E R. Evan Schiller photography.com dot com to check out his fantastic works. And then we'll round out next week's show with a return visit from orthopedic specialist Stu Sakowitz. Folks, if you've got back, hip, knee or foot pain before, during, and after your rounds, you're going to want to hear what Stu has to say. Folks, it's uh I tell you what, it's it's a, a huge honor doing this show tonight with these great guests and then the folks that I get to look forward to spending time with next week. I hope you'll come back and be a part of the show with us. Um, You can stream the show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps out there like podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Audioboom, Odyssey, Player.fm. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on it. Just type in next on the TN, the search bar. You'll probably find us there. And folks, if you enjoy the show, please do me a favor and go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for the show and their Hot 50 list. Go to podcastmagazine.com, and you're going to be able to see right there at the top Hot 50 list. And if you click on it, you're going to get a little drop-down menu, and it'll take you to where you can vote. And just type in the name of the show next on the T, and then the host name, obviously mine, Chris Mascaro. I would very much appreciate your support. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We know there's a lot of great golfing content out there. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make next on the T a part of it. Until next week, hit em straight, my friend.